Would you rather be outwardly good or privately live right? And now for Clean Unclean. In this last month, every one of my dreams has died. So I'm kind of a blank slate right now. The title of this sermon is Clean Unclean. And first, I want to paint a picture. Last Sunday, I sat in the parking lot to God Heals, a prayer service that we have here. And I had two internal prayer requests that were really bugging me internally. And yet I felt ever strongly that I could only ask for one of them. Now, one of them was external. It wasn't even sinful, but it bugged every bit of my being. It ate at my pride. It ate at my consciousness. It ate at me every day. Wasn't even a bad thing per se. The other was internal. It was sinful, but many people did it. So at worst, it scratched at my pride. And I sat in my car as I typed that up and I still could not decide what it was I would pray for. Then the first question of today is, would you rather be outwardly good or privately live right? And if you chose the former, it's quite simple. Publicly, you're good. Nobody would question you. They would even look up to you as a leader, perhaps. But in your private, Whenever it's only you and God, you would live wrongly. If you choose the latter, let's paint the picture like this. Imagine that you have big, bright, red boots. You can't take them off. Doesn't matter what you try and do. Chainsaw, doesn't cut. Paper bags, the color bleeds through. You try and paint them, it returns to its original color. In every room that you walk into, people look and they see big, bright, red boots. By extension, every step that you take, whether fast or slow, it squeaks. A little squeak, squeak, squeak. An annoying little thing. And again, it doesn't matter what you try and do, it won't go away. You can play music, but it'll seemingly get louder and louder so that it still is heard beyond. The worst thing that you could do here, the worst thing that you would do here is every night in prayer, you would cry out to the Lord asking, why, Lord, do I have to wear these big, bright red boots? Please take them away from me. You would wake up hopeful only for your foot to touch the ground and hear, squeak. It's still there. Which would you choose? It's a tough question. I don't expect you to answer it yet, but if you do have one, keep it locked in mind. I want to point to scripture. It was something that I had read in that day. We'll be looking at Matthew 23, beginning from verse 5, but jumping around. I'm in the NIV translation. It reads, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. And by extension, verse 25 reads, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. Sounds good, but it continues. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. 
That's not even the main point. Mainly is in verses 25 to 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's almost like a mask. You see, I'm wearing a mask here. It's almost like a mask. It's this portrayal to hide what is really internal. It is a facade that covers that which is decrepit and dirty. And if we looked at this like a cup, you could imagine it a little like this one. You look inside and you see at the base the plethora of wood chips. And all along the walls, it's coated in dirt. And then what happens if you pour water into this cup? This cup, which inside is dirty, and if you look at the outside, it's this bright, beautiful green. It looks clean until you look inside. If you were to pour a little bit of water in there, the water is dirty. When you look inside that cup, because of the wood chips, because of the dirt, the water is no longer drinkable. If you look at the water in this jug, you would drink it, but that one, maybe if you were in a desert, and dehydrated, but otherwise you would stay far, far clear from it because it's dirty. Then by extension, why would you choose to be a dirty cup? Why would you choose to have an inside that remains unclean, an inside that pollutes everything else that comes in contact with it? The outside may look beautiful, but it has no practicality because in its nature, it pollutes things. Why would we choose that? You see, it's an interesting situation. It's one of big versus little. It's one, I gotta take this off, I can't lie. I didn't practice with this on, I just got it 10 minutes ago. It was greatly limiting my manner of speech. Man, it's much better. (laughs) Anyways, the thing is, We come to recognize that you are not you when you're on camera. You are not you when you're surrounded by people. When you're on camera, you're nothing but a character. When you're around people, you're nothing but a persona. When you are seemingly having something at stake, you're just who you want people to see you as. It is only when there is nothing at stake, behind closed doors, when you think nobody is watching, but God always is, that the real you comes to be. What do you do when nothing is on the line is what determines who you really are. And I want to quote the pulpit commentary right quick. It reads, however fair to see, the man is not pure unless his soul is clean. He cannot be called pure while the higher part of his being is soiled and foul with sin. An inward saintliness cannot be hidden. It shines forth in the countenance. It is known by speech and action. It sheds sunshine wherever it jees. And Proverbs 4.23 reads, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You see, everything that's done in the darkness 
must come to light, right? Even that mask, at some point, it has to be taken off, right? It brings to question, the inside of the cup is clean, so the drink is clean. The drink is clean, so it's good. But what does that really look like in the world? Well, I mean, everybody cares about money, right? So let's look at that one. An individual who is just outwardly clean, you can imagine, is a billionaire. And that billionaire begrudgingly gives a million dollars out of his wealth. One, one thousand. Hardly anything to them. On the other hand, a godly man would give out of his million dollar wealth happily half of it. And yeah, I went from billion to million. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if there's a such thing as an ethical billionaire. <laughs> Considering how much exploitation those billion dollar companies go through, I mean, maybe an investor, maybe Warren Buffett's a good one, but... So I'm going to just stick to million. Continuing on, I want to not be just a voice piece, but like an informational speaker. Don't just take my word for it. Look at scripture. Mark 12, 41 through 44 reads, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So next question. How much have you given to God? How much have you given to God? And I'm not talking tithes. Lord knows I'm not talking tithes. You see, there's a saying that prayer is to the Christian what money is to the businessman. When's the last time that you studied scripture? When's the last time you meditated on scripture? When's the last time you memorized scripture? When's the last time you read scripture? What did you read last night? You know, I'm not here to judge you. So let's start tonight. I'm here to see you set free. Everybody knows about John 3:16, but let's look at a verse that's in a similar vein. Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Say it after me now. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And then let's just meditate on that for a moment. Continuing on, when looking at study, we see that it is under the authority of Christ that in faith, right religion is carried out. Well, we see one another as friends, as family in Jesus. And we see that it be not by our power, it be not by our wealth, it be not by anything that we earned, but simply because Jesus proclaimed the forgiveness. Hmm. After all, if anybody could have earned it, it would have been the Pharisees, the very same people that Jesus was calling hypocrites. Then the next question, what even is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is quite simple. It's an actor. It's an individual who puts on a mask. It's somebody who they really are not, but wants you to think they are. 
I mean, shoot, we see it in the church. A lot of people like to play church. They like to make it a show. You look around and it becomes a little concerning when church looks more like a show than it does a service. Where individuals will look at the black church and will attribute to them being loud and wrong. But to be fair, the other churches are still wrong. They're just quiet about it. I mean, (laughs) a lot of people like to have the authority and the allure of church without bearing its responsibilities. I'm reminded of when I went to a church maybe over a year ago, was a guest, and I looked at the various parking spots, and I saw a lot of simply low-expense cars. And then there was one parking spot that even had a whole man standing right by it to make sure nobody parked in it. It was the pastors. And do you know what pulled in? A Benz. We see individuals patting their pockets instead of being a safe haven or a community. We see individuals who forget to give back to the poor, conveniently forget about international ministries, conveniently forget about the youth and their congregations that are having to take out student loans when the church could really fill that void. We see a body that is supposed to be for the betterment of those who are in it, a body that serves not only its members, but even strangers. And yet somehow today it seems like a body that demands for all of its members to give to it so it can give to those at the highest. It's crazy to think that you have a pastor asking himself, do I need another jet? (laughs) They didn't have jets back then, but I can guarantee you John the Baptist would not have been asking himself that. Continuing on, it's not only a waste but it's gotten a little dangerous. They even invented a term, church hurt, where churches are loving facades, masks, until you disagree. They're loving facades, masks, until you convict. They're loving facades, masks, until, do I need to go on? They say to come as you are until you're not good enough. (laughs) And I could play this role some more, but If I did that, I may just end up saying a slur that a clip would get me canceled. (laughs) You see, people forget that love is a multifaceted word. And I'm not telling you that it means we need to open our arms to everybody and just accept them as they are and never convict them to change and just let them be and we can all skip happily in harmony. Instead, I'm saying that you need to be direct and stand on scripture when calling people out but you always do it with love. Because even Jesus would sit with individuals, dine with them, who communities would consider despicable. And yet when he got up, he would still say, go and sin no more. There is no need for one extreme. There is no need for another extreme, but there is balance and assertion and love. But always stand on scripture, because one of the last things people want to hear in the church is your opinion, unless you agree with them then it's all good. (laughs) Even as Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 suggests, and I'm not going to read it, that you go to them first alone. If they don't hear you alone, bring people with you. If they don't hear you all together, bring it to the church. If they don't hear the church, then do not consider them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But even in all of that, there is no place that ever says to cease loving them. Continuing on, 
What about you? The church ain't reliable. It hasn't been for a minute. Even in Revelations, we see the church in Ephesus being warned because they have forsook their first love. What do you do? First, I got to say, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I'm not about to stand up here and shout at you, repent and believe or you will go to hell. Instead, I tell you in love, in love, to clean out the inside of your cups because the external really does not matter that much. I want you to imagine it like this. Imagine that you're rushed into the ER. You have two injuries. On one hand, you have a gaping hole in your heart. On the other hand, you have a finger break. Now, right now, in your right mind, assuming you know, you're completely fine mentally, would you want the doctor to bandage your finger prick first? I would hope not, because you know, by the time they finish bandaging that finger prick, you'll already have bled out. Quite similarly, our internal uncleanliness be that gaping hole in the heart. You see, facades always need fixing, and facades always need maintaining. And I don't know about y'all, but it's tiring trying to be somebody that you're not. And when your priority is upholding this identity that you aren't really, you're always drained. When you focus on cleaning the outside first, you never have time to clean the inside. You already gave your all. But whenever the inside is already clean, the outside shall reflect it. Whenever the inside is clean, it can't help but overflow outside. A drinkable water, if I may. Mm. And I love y'all. I'm not going to give up on y'all. If people coddle you, they don't love you. If people lie to you, odds are they don't love you. Hmm. But it is love that is direct and asserts. And so what? The takeaways are, first, to sacrifice your self-sovereignty. What does this mean? This means to fundamentally ask yourself the question, who is the Lord of my life? And usually it's me. I am the Lord of my life. I mean, who else is above me in my own life, right? Him. It's the question of me or my maker. And the answer should be my maker. By extension, the fruits of the spirit. But you know what, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I'm gonna give y'all homework. Yeah, outside of the church, just you, when nobody else is watching. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in next week. I'm not going to call in, hey, did you do the homework? None of that. It's just you and God. Nothing to do with me. And that is, first, it's only two things. To read Galatians 5, a few verses, 19 through 26. Read Galatians 5, 19 through 26. And once you've done that, to study, meditate, and memorize verses 22 and 23, fruits of the spirit. I'll repeat it one more time in case you wanna write it down. Read Galatians 5, verses 19 through 26, and then study, meditate, and memorize verses 22 and 23. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. And lastly, to be aware, to self-assess, and then self-correct. Asking yourself questions such as, what is my fatal flaw? What do people usually say my fatal flaw is? Because you'll notice a lot of times we get feedback from people and it goes in one ear and out the other. And then we get that same feedback from like 10 different people. And instead of asking ourselves the question, why do so many people keep telling me this? We just start to get mad that people are telling us the same feedback. 
you know, if 10 people say that your breath stinks, perhaps you should buy a mint. It's quite that simple. I don't think it's just coincidence at that point. And quite similarly, we should ask ourselves, what are our fatal character flaws? What's the root of it? Why have I continued to do it? What can I do to stop? What should I replace it with? What do experts say? Is there a book about this? Do I know anybody that has made it through this? Let me talk to them. And then once you've worked through this fatal character flaw, what's my next fatal character flaw? And what's my next fatal character flaw? And what's my next fatal character flaw? And you see, when you work through these fatal character flaws, the internal ones, you recognize that even the external expression gets a lot better. Imagining that 10 individuals were telling you your breath stunk and you're trying to figure out what it is. Ultimately, you narrow it down to, I eat whole cloves of garlic every day. And you perhaps just replace that garlic with broccoli or a carrot, anything of that nature, just replace it. And then now nobody's telling you your breath stinks. It was that simple. By fixing the internal, the external was, by extension, reflected. Hmm. And it can be hard to decide, I want to be internally clean. Especially when we often care so much about the opinions of others nearby us. But friend, I got to tell you, hardly anything actually matters in this life. And that's not even just to say, imagine if this thing that you're worrying about today will have any significance 10 years down the line, even if it does, hardly anything really matters in this life. There's a saying that Seneca said that most of our suffering is due to imagination and not reality. It's just perception. I was talking with a brother, he's over 70 years old, but still a brother. And he said, I just got out of a season of depression, and I could not help but recognize it was because I was choosing to be depressed. The perception is in the mind, and I chose to view things negatively. In my same situation, it has not changed, but my mind has, and the way that I look at it has. And because I have changed my perception, I'm, I'm not depressed. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I'm, I'm good. Because most of our suffering it's an imagination and not reality. Mm. And so I say to seek the Lord in helping you to wash the inside of your cups. For it is only once the inside gets clean, once the heart has been healed, that the fatal flaw is fixed, that you will find that the water tastes pretty good. So in conclusion, I show you this cup, clean in exterior, and I pour the same water that I poured into the other club, dirty and interior. And I must say, this water, it'll taste pretty good. I should have practiced that. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Thank you. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was the message titled, Clean, Unclean, by George Bronner. This message is number 4128. That's 4128. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4128 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com.
Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because brother you need the word. Well, well.